all. And we're going to start off just reading this verse and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer, but introduce you to the idea of the Apostle Paul as a father. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15. 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 15. Paul writes, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. There are a lot of people that will have input in your spiritual life, but Paul is telling these Corinthians, there's not going to be very many people that care about you the way that I do. He had a special connection, this spiritual begetting through the gospel of these people. And likewise, all of us, there are people that influence our lives, make a difference, that shape us and mold us into what we become. But to be a dad, to be a dad is a great privilege and a great responsibility. We're going to take a look at the fatherhood, some fatherhood lessons that come from the Apostle Paul. We're going to need God's help to do that. So if you would, please bow your heads with me. Let's pray about this. Father, help us this morning as we talk about this important subject. I pray that you might move upon everybody's heart here. Lord, I believe there's something in this message that all of us can benefit from. But especially, Father, we're asking that you touch the hearts of the men in this room, those that are dads or perhaps going to be dads, Lord, wherever they're at on that journey, might you feed and help and and strengthen them today to be the best dad they can be, to be the dad you want them to be. Help me to preach, please now. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul was never married. He never had any biological children of his own. But it's quite clear in the Bible that Paul knew, knew a thing or two about being a dad. Uh, in the Bible, you read where he calls Timothy his own son in the faith. He says the same thing about Titus. He says the same thing about Onesimus, that he led to Christ while he was in prison. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul said to them, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Paul acknowledged the pain and suffering that it took to reach them with the gospel, but then to watch them grow. Paul said, that's a whole other topic. That's a whole other section of pain, if you will. I travail in birth again. Dads, it's one thing when, they, when the children are born. But now you have 18 years of, of rejoicing. The heart can leap for joy, but also break with sorrow and pain. And mothers, I think much is, is true for you in, in this sense as well. I understand that this, this should be a tandem. It should be a, a two-person job, right, to raise these kids. But dads, we're focusing on you today. Paul, he said in 1 Thessalonians 2, as you know, how we exhorted, listen dads, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. What's a father supposed to do? Follow the example of the Apostle Paul. Comfort. Exhort. Charge. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul taught Timothy how to look for a a bishop, that is the head pastor of a church, and there were certain things he he must do. And one of those things is rule his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And if I can put that in simple English, he needs to take fatherhood seriously. A pastor needs to be making his level best attempt at being a good dad. So what does it take to be a good dad? 
Well, if you came this morning hoping for like, you know, three points in a poem about being a good dad, let me just do those things and I'm good. <laughs> Guys, it's so much more than three points. I brought 10. I have a 10-point sermon. I just wanted to see who would get scared when I said that. I, <laughs> I have a 10-point sermon, so we are going to move quickly today, but I'm doing this for a reason because there's so much that goes into being a dad. I am just scratching the surface. But I want to, I hope that you have come with ears to hear. I hope you've, you've come, if I can use the metaphor of an empty wheelbarrow, and I'm going to just tr- throw out as many nuggets as I can, and, and hopefully some of these little nuggets from, from the scripture will land in your wheelbarrow, and you can take them home and, and put them to use. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 17, children's children are the crown of old men. I like that, because i got grandbabies now. Children's children are the crown of old men. Now, what I don't like about that verse is it calls me old. <clears throat> Not cool. <laughs> I'll take it, though. I'll gladly take the, 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 the name old or the adjective old if I can have some time with those grandbabies. The last part of that verse says this, and the glory, or I'm sorry, and the glory of children are their fathers. Your children ought to be able to brag about you. This isn't to say dad is perfect. This isn't to say dad always gets it right. But your children should, if I can use the term, I hope you understand how I use this in in the right sense to stand up and say, I'm proud that this man's my dad. I'm not ashamed of this man as my dad. They should be happy to point that out to people. What does it take to be a good dad? Well, It's not five, it's not seven, it's not ten things. There's so many. But what I want to do is take a look at how Paul felt about the Corinthians. I've I've started you in 1 Corinthians 4. You can see that Paul acknowledges he begat them through the gospel. But you're going to see throughout 1 and 2 Corinthians how Paul relates to them as his spiritual children. Yes. And what I want you to... We're going to go a little beneath the surface today. We're going to learn some parenting tips from Paul as the pastor over this church. And just see how, how being their spiritual leader might equate to you being the leader of your home. So dads, let's begin in chapter 3. And I'm doing this in no particular order. I, I'm, I'm working my way chronologically through First and Second Corinthians. So I'm not ordering my points as if this is the least important and building our way up to the most important. I'm just taking it in the order in which it's given to us here. So hopefully some of this will be a help to you. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Verse 3, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. My first point is this. Fathers, feed, don't force. Feed them, don't force them. It is our responsibility as dads to put food on the table, yes? But this applies with more than just the physical food we put on the table. We also need to be mindful that we're putting spiritual food on the table. We're putting enough information on the table to prepare our children to step out into the world one day as independent, properly functioning adults. In order to do that, right, we must, when ready, we must give them 
the necessary nourishment. But you can't force that process. You probably don't want to put vores in the mouth of a, of a baby that has no teeth to chew it. I, I say that lightly because I know Afrikaners are... You guys put biltong in there right away. There's no teeth? Come on, Baba. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that you expect them to chew, digest. I, perhaps it's just like in place of a dummy. Teething? Oh, is, is that what it is? Okay, if that's how you want to sell it. But I... <laughs> You understand my point. You, you can't force them before they're ready to take on certain types of information. You need to know what your children can handle. You need to know where they're at in life, which means, dads, you need to know your children. You need to spend enough time with them to see this is where they're at in life. And, and in order to get from, from this stage to the next stage of life, they need this type of information. Let's not rush the process. Let's be on top of the process. Let's be mindful of it and recognize where they're at. Now, with Paul's case, these folks were lagging a bit behind. And Paul had to make some adjustments. Fathers recognize perhaps some weak spots in your kids' lives. And when necessary, slow it down. Give them the nourishment that they need. I, I think this is true for most parents. We dread the day that we have to sit our kids down and have that birds and bees conversation. It's an awkward one. A necessary one. Better they hear it from us than the world. The world, the way it is, they just slam their foot on the accelerator. And by the time they're five, kids are now trying to figure out how that particular part of life works. When I was five years old, I, that was the farthest thing from my mind. I wasn't trying to figure out if I was a boy or a girl. I knew that. I, I knew where I stood on that. I didn't need to have that conversation. And, and, and all the stuff that goes with those things. Listen, the world's trying to rush it. Dads, you're, it's our responsibility to make sure that we're feeding our kids what they need, not just biblical information, not just physical, emotional, mental, making sure they get what they need when they need it. I like the idea of force-feeding kids when it comes to broccoli, <laughs> cauliflower, right? Asparagus. G give them something nutritious. And if they're going to sit there and go, I don't want to eat it. <laughs> don't care. <laughs> you're going to eat it. And you're not leaving the table until you eat it. Amen. Dads, you, you need to help me with an amen there because you, you don't want to let that kid get away with, I don't want to eat it. I don't care. <laughs> you're going to eat it. So, so that is maybe the only exception to the force feeding rule, right? But let, let's, be, let's be mindful of this. One day you're going to have to have a much, much more important conversation with your kids. You're going to have to sit them down and find out where they are with Jesus. And that conversation starts when they're three and four and five. And you're singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And then as they're six and seven and they start hearing the story of the cross and they sit in church next to their mom and next to their dad and they see dad with his Bible open and his ear attentive and saying amen when appropriate and participating in the church and, and little by little, Booty Sissy's going to start asking questions. Why are, we, why are we doing this? Why are Sundays occupied with the things of God? Why every day in our home do we read the Bible and pray? And dads, it's time to feed them with the gospel. But you can't force that on them. 
You have to give them the necessary information about Christ, but you're going to have to do it slowly and as they're ready. Know where they're at. Feed them, but you can't force them. Something else I think we can learn, chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. I write not these things to shame you, Paul says, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. Point two. Help them, don't hurt them. Help them, don't hurt them. Now now look at what Paul said. I write not these things to what? I'm not trying to shame you. Look at chapter 6. Look at chapter 6. In verse number 5. Chapter 6 and verse 5. What does he say? I speak to your what? (laughs) I write not these things to shame you. Shame on you. (laughs) Look at chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your what? Shame on you. So what did, what did he say? I write not these things to shame you. Shame on you. Shame on you. Now, Paul, which is it? You know what he's doing? Shame them so that they don't feel ultimate shame. So I, I've, I've got to say something about their bad behavior. But I'm saying it not to hurt them, but to help them. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Dads, you mustn't shy away from telling your children the truth about their behavior. You must be careful how you say it. You must be careful why you say it. It is possible to speak the truth, but not in love. So make sure you're trying to help them and not hurt them. But don't think... That, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings, so let me not say anything. Now you are hurting them in the long run. So you might have to, on occasion, say, shame on you. This is wrong, but that's not the end goal, is just to leave them in a state of shame and embarrassment. You're not trying to hurt them. You're trying to help them. Second Corinthians 7, look with me, please, at verse number 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Paul says, I I don't regret writing a letter to tell you how wrong you were. Keep going. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. (laughs) Boy, that spells fatherhood right there. He said, I felt bad in the moment, but now that I've seen the long-term effect, I'm glad I did it. I've had to have some... I've had some not-so-comfortable conversations with my kids, and in the moment, boy, it seemed a bit tense. I wasn't sure how that would work out. But now that I'm 10 years past that conversation, and I look back, I thank God I told them the truth. Paul says, Though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle, that's a letter, hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Do you see the short term? Right now, you feel sorrow, but Paul's goal was not just to leave them in a state of sorrow. You're going to have to feel some sorrow about some shameful behavior so that we can get out of that and grow 
and learn to do better. In verse 9, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Help them, don't hurt them. Dads, you need to tell them the truth, but be careful, don't be a bully. Don't be a bully with the truth. You're not there to just make them feel bad. You're not there to prove you're superior to them. That's not the goal. You want to help them. My dad and I had secret code when I was a boy. You know, one of the more embarrassing things that can happen, I think, to anybody, but for a young man, especially walking around, if your zipper happens to fall down and you're walking around and you don't know it, very embarrassing, very embarrassing. So my dad and I had a code because if, if you're in public, there's not too many ways to gracefully handle that. So my dad, this is one of the coolest things my dad ever did. My dad, admittedly, I love him to pieces, not the coolest man to ever walk the planet. He just wasn't creative like that. But in this case, I thought, man, that was lecker slim. He, he had a good plan. He pulled me aside. I, I think I was eight or nine. And he said, son, if you ever, ever hear me say to you, you have egg on your chin, just know that that is code for your zippers down. You need to go fix that. And this way, I would know everybody else going, what does that mean? It would distract them, and then I could go fix the problem and come back. Whereas all the other kids would tell me that same truth. <laughs> They'd all laugh at me. You know what? They just want to hurt me. They want to use that mistake to make me feel bad because they're bullies. But not my dad. My dad would point out the same mistake in a gentle, mindful, thoughtful way because he's trying to help and not to hurt. Do you see the difference? And yes, in the moment, I'm like, oh, this is embarrassing. But my, okay, I'm sorry, but just for a moment, long term, I'm glad my dad told me. <laughs> Moms, dads, have you ever said this to your children? Dads, I'm preaching to you. Let me just address you. Have, you. have you ever said this? What were you thinking? Have you ever said that? Maybe you've thought that about just people in general. What were you thinking? Now, you know that phrase can come out one of two ways. You can say that to somebody, and the way you meant it and the way it kind of sounds is you are incapable of an intelligent thought. <laughs> okay, that, that went over some of your heads. Let me say it. Let me bring it right down here. You dumb dumb. <laughs> That's what you meant when you said, what were you thinking? There's not a thought in your head. You dumb dumb. That's how they interpret it. But, Dad, you can say the same thing. Booty, sissy, come here. What were you thinking? I want to know so that I can help you think that through in a better way. Same question, but this time you're not hurting, you're helping. So guys, I'm writing to you, back in chapter 4, I'm writing to you. I, I, my end goal is not shame, I'm warning you, because I don't want you to continue down this path. Chapter 4, let's get verse 21. Paul says this, what will ye? Chapter 4 and verse 21, 1 Corinthians what will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod? Make sure you all get it here. I want you to see this one. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? Dads, have you ever given your children the option of what kind of punishment they get? <laughs> Dr. Ruckman used to tell us a story all the time about when he was young, his, he would get in trouble often. He was a naughty child. And his mom and dad would tell him, you go out in the backyard and find the switch. They, they call it, you know, like a, a limb off a tree, a little, a little twig, not twig, a branch type of thing. 
Uh, you go find one of those in the yard, and that will be the instrument of your demise. <laughs> they would make him go get his own whip. <laughs> Dr. Ruckman said, yo, he'd find the smallest, weakest little thing he could find in the yard. <laughs> one time a kid was told that instead of finding a switch to get a, a hiding with, the little kid brought a stone. And, and, and the dad said, where, where did I tell you to get? I told you to get me a switch. I couldn't find one, so you can just throw this at me. <laughs> You can't punish the child after that. <laughs> Here's my third point. Dads, get a bigger toolbox. Get a bigger toolbox. Paul knew there was one, more than one way to fix their problem. Some dads only have a rod. That's all they know how to do. Some dads don't even have a rod. All they know how to do is yell. Some dads, all they know how to do is hit. Some dads, all they know how to do is ignore. Their kids make them angry, and the dad runs off pouting. Some dads, all they know how to do is joke. They're the fun guy. When it comes time to be serious, they're not there. Some dads, all they, the only tool in their toolbox is dodging. Something difficult's happening, the child's done something wrong, go talk to your mother. Dads get a bigger toolbox. Can I just point out to you that the Apostle Paul, his go-to move was gentle. His go-to move was meekness. By the way, that is God's go-to move. His first reaction to our bad behavior, God is very gentle with us. Now listen, if you're not going to listen and respond to the gentle approach, to the meek approach, then there is a rod. Let, let, let's, let's not take that out of the toolbox. There's a time and a place for the rod. But gentlemen... Make sure you have a big enough toolbox that accommodates everything your children will need as you raise them. Come to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse number 31. Chapter 12 and verse 31. The Corinthians are struggling with spiritual gifts. One is interested in this gift. Another is interested in that gift. They have different things they're excited about. Now here's my correlation. As your kids grow up, they're going to get interested in various things. That's good. It's good that they have an interest, a hobby, a sport, whatever it might be. That's, that's not a bad thing. But the Corinthians were putting all their time, attention, and focus on that one thing they were interested in. And instead of using that one talent or ability that they had, to help other people, they were using it to bring attention to themselves. It was all selfish and vainglory. Chapter 12 and verse 31, Paul says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Listen, there's nothing wrong with getting better at something. Even getting better at the Christian life. Nothing wrong with that. Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. All right, here's my fourth point. Fathers, prioritize their passions prioritize their passions paul's spiritual children were interested they were emphasizing various abilities and gifts look at me look at me look what i can do and paul's not taking that away he's not telling them don't use your gifts he's going to show them a better way to use those gifts so dads offer some structure to your kids let them be passionate about something but Make sure they prioritize these passions. Make sure that their hobbies 
don't become their gods. Paul, what does he tell the Corinthians to do? Chapter 13, we call it the charity chapter. When he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way, you know what he taught them? He said, guys, if you have a gift, if you can speak multiple languages, great. If you have a lot of knowledge and you're able to teach others, great. If you have the ability to speak well in front of people and you can move them and you can preach, great. If you have the ability to give, which by the way is a spiritual gift, if you can give, verse 3, do it. But if you don't have charity, you're, you're absolutely useless. If you're doing it for the wrong reasons, if you're passionate about something, make sure that you balance that passion with love. Because if you're just doing it for yourself, then it implodes, it puffs you up, and it makes your life utterly useless. You get to the end of your life, you look back and you go, I was so excited, I spent so much time, money, and effort on that thing, now what do I have to show for it? Who did I help? What difference did I make? Paul says there's faith, there's hope, there's charity, verse 13. But the greatest of these is charity. So dads, teach them. Teach them to love their neighbor. Teach them to love their family. Teach them to love their church. Teach them to love their Savior. Teach them to love the Bible. You can teach them to love themselves. Isn't that a biblical thing? Come on, are you with me here? Love your neighbor as you love yourself, but prioritize it. Don't let that child think he's the center of the universe. Let's make sure that he knows these things are good to spend time and money on, but I'm, a, I'm not going to let sports take the place of God. I'm not going to let a hobby take me out of the house of God. I'm going to make sure there's some priorities to my child's life and that they know how important it is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to make sure they see the proper order of things. Fine to be passionate, but prioritize their passions. Chapter 13, verse 11 gives us another point. Chapter 13, verse 11, Paul says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Point number five, manage, help them, fathers, help them manage expectations. Childhood is all about growth. There are transitions. Your, your child, oh, I got to be careful with this. Nowadays, your child is transitioning. Oh, 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 let me dodge that political landmine. Not from one gender to another, good grief. That's never going to change. But they are transitioning from being an infant to a toddler and a toddler. And forgive me, you can put whatever names you want on these stages. A toddler to a kid, a kid to a preteen, a preteen to an adolescent, adolescent to a young adult, and then finally from a young adult to being an adult. And you need to expect that when they are a child, they are going to do childish things. I used to say this to my uh, oldest daughter all the time. Act your age. And... and my daughter had a pretty good comeback to that, to be honest with you. She said, and what's that supposed to look like? <laughs> Is there a book somewhere that says, age this, acts this way? Well, she had me on that one. <laughs> she doesn't know what it means to act that age. You know why? She hasn't been that age yet. She's just now getting there. It's up to me to help her manage expectations. What, what is expected from me when I'm a toddler? 
How much do you expect me to know? How much am I expected to understand? You want me to say smart things? I'm not smart yet. (laughs) My brain is not fully formed. So it's up to us to help them as they transition from one stage of life to the next. Dads, if I can just give you perhaps an idea here. When my son turned 13, I organized it. Many of you, uh, I say many, some of you were around for that and were part of this. I took my son around town. I set it up where he would meet with one um from the church here. And he sat with that um. I bought my son a special journal and a special pen just to get advice. And I set it up with all the dads. So all these older men, give my son some advice that is applicable to his life right now, 13 onward. What does he need to know? So he had 30 minutes with this guy, and then I went and picked him up, or I think maybe that gentleman drove him to the next spot. He met with another man, and then off to another man, and then eventually he got to me. Because I wanted him to know, son, you're at that stage of life now where you're no longer a little boy. You're, You're turning into a young man. And I want to help you know that now that you're transitioning to this next stage of life, there's some more expectations. At a certain point with my oldest daughter, I gave her a ring and I told her, I'll be there for you. I will protect you until that next man comes to give you a ring. It wasn't long ago, Amy, if you don't mind, just hold up your hand. There's a ring on that young lady's hand. Because not long ago, I got down on one knee and I proposed... And I said, Amy, I will be the man that loves you, protects you, takes care of you until the next right man comes and does exactly what I'm doing on bended knee. I promised, that's a promise ring that she has. And the promise is, I'll be the very best dad I can be. And I I will help you stage by stage, step by step. I don't want to expect more from her than she's ready to offer. But it is my job eventually When my son left the house, we we sat down, we had a talk, and I said, you're always going to be my son, but you're not my boy anymore. You're a young man, and I'm going to treat you like a man. You're going to be responsible like a man. Now you're a man. Why? Because sometimes kids can get lost with where am I at in life. They haven't been to that stage yet. They're still going through it. Gentlemen, we've been through it. Let's give them some direction. Let them be children while they're children. But when it's time to grow up, make sure you guide them through that transitioning stage. Chapter 14, verse number 20. We find two things in this verse. Chapter 14 and verse 20. Paul says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Here's my sixth point. I'm going to use this generically, and then I'll explain it. Help them keep it and help them get it. Help them keep it, help them get it. Now, what does it? The two it's are in the verse. Help them keep it. He says, when, when it comes to malice, be children. Malice is when you intentionally are trying to be mean and hurtful to people. Now, let me be careful here. Kids are not master criminals. I can see a few moms and dads going, "Mm, mm, that's your opinion. (laughs) You haven't met my son. But they're not. And I I speak this in a general sense, okay? Most kids, you know what their their life goal is when they're four, five, six, seven, right in that stage? You know, they just want to have fun. They just want to have innocent, 
fun. They're not plotting out your demise or anybody else's demise. They just want to have good, innocent fun. They're, they're innocent. They, they might even do and say things that we're like, you hoo, hoo, don't. they don't even mean anything by it. We laugh and giggle because we know, oh man, if you were an adult and did that, that, you would, that would not fly. But they're kids, they don't know. So when it comes to malice, they're in a state of innocence. Help them keep that. Nurture that in them. We don't need to teach them all the little innuendos that they're going to learn eventually in the world. Keep them innocent. Be careful what they're watching and hearing. Keep them innocent. Uh, Dads, if I can say one more thing before I move on from this, keep them innocent, not, not teaching them this malice when they see dad living in malice. That, that's a phrase from Titus chapter 3, living in malice. What does that mean? You're just always grumpy, angry, bitter. They can see it on your face when you come home. Frustration bubbles up and out. And Okay, maybe you're not angry at them, but they know you're an angry man. The Bible warns us about an angry man, not to go with him, lest you learn his ways. Make sure that they don't learn that bad attitude, Dad, from you. You want to help keep that innocence in them? Then make sure you keep yourself in a good place. Now, he also says, he says, when it comes to malice, be children. So help them keep that innocence but then in understanding, be men. So help them keep it, innocence, help them get it. So whenever we explain things to somebody, we say, do you get it? Why? We want them to understand what we've said. Dads, it is our job to prepare our children with the necessary tools for life moving forward. They need three things. They need knowledge. They need wisdom. They need understanding. Read the book of Proverbs. Much of it is written, right? It is a father writing to his son. And you'll see these thro- uh, those three things constantly mentioned. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding. Give them the facts. That's knowledge. And then tell, teach them how to decide between what's right and wrong. Teach them how to look at the facts and decide these are good things to do. These are bad things to do. That's wisdom. Wisdom is making good decisions. And then the last stage is understanding. He says, grow up. Part of growing up is seeing the big picture. When we're young, we don't see that big picture. We don't think long term. When I was young, I thought the whole world resided in Fort Worth, Texas. I did. The idea of England or China being... I thought that you could dig in the backyard, and if you dug deep enough, you'd hit China. In my, no, I'm not kidding. I tried. I tried with a spoon (laughs) because my understanding was limited. And then my dad had to slowly but surely explain to me the world's a much bigger place than you think. (laughs) I didn't know. But it's his job to, when I'm ready, give me the necessary knowledge, show me how to use it, and how it fits in with the big picture. Dads, do you know what the big picture is? Why are we here? What is the point of life? You need to give them that direction. And once you give them the ultimate goal of loving God, then that helps them make good decisions. It helps them to use the information that they have. But it's your job to help them get it. 
help them get it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians 6 and verse 11. Paul says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. He says, guys, there's something wrong inside of you, not in us. You see, the Corinthians were starting to turn on Paul. You might think of this as maybe the teenage stage. Paul says in verse 11, guys, we love you. Our, hearts, our mouth is open, our, our heart's enlarged. We love you more now than we, than we ever have. And he said, the reason you're not getting along with us, it's not because of what we're doing to you, it's because of something wrong that's gone, in, something's gone wrong inside of, of you. Not, not in us, not in me, Paul. Something's wrong in there. You just don't have room inside to love me. In verse 13, now for a recompense in the same, in this loving relationship, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged, open your heart, open your mouth, son, daughter, talk to me, let's talk about it, let's get it out there. Where was this bad attitude coming? Why did these Corinthians, why were they not getting along with Paul? Verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You know where they learned this rebellious behavior? You know where they learned to hate their mom and dad? From having the wrong kind of friends around them. Now, now guys, haven't we seen this? When you're six, seven, eight, nine, man, they just love dad. Well, dad's their hero, and all of a sudden they become teenagers, and dad becomes the dumbest man on the planet. What happened? In some part, I'm not saying it's completely this, but in some part, it's the friends that they started to have. It was the environment that they were around, and that started to rub off on them. I'm not saying that's the whole reason, but here's my point. Number seven, dads offer crowd control. You need to offer some crowd control. Paul told these Corinthians in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, evil communications corrupt good manners. He says, you guys are going downhill because of the people you're hanging out with. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Fathers, you should offer the crowd control. When you see your son or daughter start hanging out with the wrong crowd, you got to step in and set some boundaries. Listen, at some point, they're going to have to choose their own friends. But until that time, it's up to you to offer the crowd control. It's up to you to watch out for that snake in the grass. What happened to Adam and Eve? How did they get set against God? Bad company. Bad company. There's a snake in the grass. Now, now you see, you say, why didn't God step in? He's a good father. Why didn't he step in and get rid of that snake in the grass? Because those were adults. And when you're adults, listen, you got to step back at a certain point. Dad, you cannot control their lives Forever, you've got to at a certain point say, I've given you all the information you need. You have knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. You're grown. You've got to make your own choices. There it is. I've done as good as I can to raise you. Now you choose. And that's what God did. Those were adults in the garden. Those weren't kids. While they're kids, make sure they know that tree's good, that tree's bad. 
and watch out for snakes in the grass because they will come. They will come. So we must equip them. We must equip them, dads, to how do you deal with the snake in the grass? We deal with that for them. And then when they're old enough, now they know how to deal with that. It might be a family member. Have you thought about that? There might be a Uomertani. They don't need to spend time around. It might be the Niafio, the Niachi, that cousin. They may not need to be spent. You say, but they're family. Yeah, but they're rotten. I have some uncles that I greatly respect. I have one that died a few years back. And, and I, I, I tread lightly here because I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm trying to be honest. He was a wicked man. And to this day, I've asked my dad, why did you let me and my sister spend any time around him? Because he taught me things when I was a teenager I had no business knowing. You got to watch out who they're spending time around and offer crowd control. Make sure your kids have a good, godly, spiritual environment. Keep those snakes out of the grass. We dads, sometimes we have these thoughts of, you know, of sitting on the porch with a shotgun, right? Especially you dads with daughters, yes? I, I think, and, and listen, I would not shoot a young man. I wouldn't. I, I'm, this is on record. I'm being recorded. I would not shoot a young man. Now you can shut it off. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I think, can we all understand and appreciate the shotgun mentality? You come near with bad intentions, you better know how to run real fast and duck and dodge. <laughs> Because I, I will not hesitate to cut off that snake in the grass. Why is it we only deal, why, why is it the, the only time we have that mentality is when it's our daughters? Why don't we take that mentality with all of their friends? Not just boyfriends coming to date our daughters, but any friend that might corrupt our children. Dads, offer some crowd control. Chapter 7 and verse 16. Chapter 7 and verse 16. Paul writes to these, these folks, I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. These people wore Paul out. He was so grieved over their bad behavior. If you've read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you can see that they just mistreated Paul. They did not appreciate their spiritual dad. And still, he had enough maturity he had enough gumption, he had enough fortitude, he had enough, enough character to look at those kids, to write to them and say, I still have confidence in you. So here's my point number eight. Dads, encourage them. You don't have to wait until they get it all figured out and treat you perfectly before you can compliment them. Find something to compliment them on encourage them. I rejoice. I have confidence in you to do this and this. I know you can come right. I see the potential. Dads, it's very tempting to only pick on the bad things they do. The only time that we talk to our children is when we're telling them off. And what happens is that child begins to think the only thing they know how to do is misbehave because that's the only time dad ever has their attention. 
make sure that there are some times, dads, when you sit them down and, and just do this, sit them down. And, and your kid might be a little shocked at first and go, oh, oh no, what did I do? You say, nothing. I've sat you down here because I love you. And I just want you to know you're special to me. Come here and give me a hug. And that's it. Then that kid's going to walk out going, oh, something's wrong with dad. <laughs> I think dad's dying. <laughs> Make sure they know how special they are. Even though there are faults. Even though they're not perfect. Try to encourage them. Chapter 12, verse 14. We're coming to the close, but I want to give you something real practical here for a moment. This is just, I hesitate to call this preaching now. I'm just going to give you some good advice, I think. Chapter 12 and verse 14. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. I'm not there to get your stuff. I'm not coming so you give me money. I'm coming to be a blessing to you. For the children, not not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. All right? Dads, this is a good way to help your kids. Planning for your future. Make a plan for your future. So that one day when you're old and not able to think clearly, they don't have to plan for your future. And I, I realize, guys, there comes a time when Age and health just doesn't allow us to operate like we want to. I understand that. But gentlemen, the more planning we do for our future, the easier it becomes for our kids so we're not a burden to them down the road. And yes, I am telling you, make a financial plan. Amen? Make a financial plan as best you can. I know it's not always in your control, but think about it now. So that 40 years from now, it's not a burden to anybody. Can I, can I now switch gears here a little bit? Okay, I've given you some practical secular advice that I think is solid advice. But it's happened on more than one occasion that when the funeral's about to happen, the kids come into my office, say, Pastor Mike, our dad was in your church. Do you know if he was saved? And I have to tell them, I chatted with him. I saw him in church here and there. He never really did participate. He, he kind of said the right things. But to be honest, I'm not sure. Do you realize what a burden that is to your children? If you die without thinking about your future. Dads, don't leave any doubts in the minds of your children where you're at after you've taken life's final breath. Make sure that they know. I mean, I mean, sit them down now and tell them, Dad is on his way to heaven. And if you're saved, you and I, we're going to spend forever together in heaven. So whenever you have to say goodbye to me on this earth, know that it is a temporary parting of the ways. We will be together again. Dad, leave no doubts in their mind. Lay up some hope for them. Parents ought to lay up for the children. And Paul might be talking about money in a large extent here, but all oh, the spiritual riches of knowing that dad walked with God before God took him. Don't be a burden to your children. Plan for your future. And then finally, chapter 12 and verse 15. 
Paul says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul has made my job quite easy in this last point. Point number 10, fathers, love them abundantly. Love them abundantly. I've thought long and hard on what I'm going to say next, and I want to be careful with my words. I've measured them. The words or the term unconditional love is often used. And, and I'm, I don't want to argue about the semantics of it. I, if you want to use that term, help yourself. I fear that it might be misleading. When, when we say, I love you unconditionally, people sometimes get the idea in their head that no matter what you do, I will always treat you in a certain way. My love will always be manifested in the same way. That's not right. Now, to say, no matter what you do, I will always love you. That's a true statement, right? That, that's how God feels towards mankind. God's love is always available to mankind. As long as they're breathing, God's love is there. But that doesn't mean God is manifesting His love the same way to everybody. You know why God loves us? Listen to this. You say it's unconditional. No, no, it's conditional. It's conditioned on His nature. The reason He loves us is because of who He is, not because of who we are. That's the condition. That's the condition. If you decide to love your kids because of how they are acting, oh, you'll be all up and down. If you tell them, I love you, because God loved me. And that same love that he gave to me, he is now working that into my nature. And that same love he gave to me is now available to you. And it will never change. The way I show my love might change. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So the love of God can be manifested in different ways. And your love for your children will at times be shown in different ways. But, but let it be conditioned. Listen, it should be conditional, conditioned, not on their behavior. But I'm going to love my son. I'm going to love my daughter because of the love that Christ gave me. Because of the love that the Father has towards me as his son. That love now gets extended to my children. So my love is conditioned on God's love. Does that make sense? And God's love is conditioned on His own personhood, His own nature, because God is love. And thank God, even on my worst day, when I love Him less, He loves me more. And it's not because of who I am, it's because of who He is. Fathers, God is working on you. He is trying to mold you after the image of Christ. He's trying to make you godly men. The word godly means like God. So you tell your kids, no matter what you do, I will love you appropriately. I might have to manifest my love differently depending on what's going on. But even if you go off the rails, you're my child. You never have to worry about me not loving you. I entered into my heavenly father's family years ago, and he promised, 
I can't stop loving you. Why? Because of who he is. Thank God it's not dependent on me. We have a heavenly father worth bragging about. Glory of their children is their father. We have a heavenly father worth bragging about. Gentlemen, my challenge to you this morning, I've given you 10 things and this scratches the surface. Take what you can from this morning's sermon. Be a dad worth bragging about. Let's all stand, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Pianist will play something softly for just a moment. I want you to pray appropriately this morning. I know we have many different life stages represented in the room. If you're the dad, start praying now, God, what what is it I need to work on to be a better dad? If, If you're... A young person in the room, do you, do you pray for your dad? Ladies, that man you married, he's not a perfect man, but he's your man. And if God be willing, He's going to father, be the father to your children. Pray for Him. Pray for Him. Maybe you go home today and say, I, wherever I can help you be a good father, I, I want to help. as we come to a close I'll pray in just a moment we'll dismiss let you go home spend some time together as a family I want to bring you back to this thought of planning for your future dads do you know where you're going when you die are you sure are you sure enough that you can explain it to your kids so that they know that dad is saved What a wonderful gift to give to your family. If perchance you're here and you've never been saved, find me afterwards. Please, please. We'll just have a private conversation. Even if you're just not sure about it and you want to know You you want to have that assurance to give to your family and to your soul, to yourself. Search me out. I'd be honored to chat with you about it. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and how can we thank you enough, Father, for for the God that you are, the heavenly Father that you are. Thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do. 
I'm, I'm so glad to know that God, your love is not based solely on my behavior. That you, you are love. That this is just who you are. Help me, Lord. I want to be more like you. Help me, God. I want to be a better pastor, a better dad, a better husband, a better Christian. Teach me, Lord. Thank you for wonderful children. Thank you for grandchildren. Thank you for family. Thank you for the joy that it brings. Lord, all the heartache and worry and prayer and time, it's all worth it, Lord. But give us wisdom to be the dad you want us to be. Lord, we love you, but only because you first loved us. Pray you dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' name.